Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about, kind, loving Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have these kind of conversations with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to apologize for the delay in releasing new episodes. I got a little behind on things because of the holidays, but I hope now we can start releasing new episodes for you on a more regular basis. If you've listened to the podcast since the beginning, you'll definitely recognize today's guest. It's Sam Dominguez, my former co-host. Today, you'll get a chance to hear Sam and I discuss the concept of eternity. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I know I did. The teacher used an analogy to try and help uh, us understand uh, eternity, and it it just kind of got me thinking of all the different analogies that I've heard and metaphors and every example that I've ever heard from teachers, preachers, from myself, you know, trying to explain the concept of of eternity and, and how in the end they all just kind of fell short, you know? So I, I don't want to throw that dude under the bus, but so what are like, <laughs> since, since I won't throw you under the bus, what, so what are, I mean, what are some of those, I guess, so are you talking about just like, forever like trying to wrap our mind around forever is that what you mean uh, yeah i mean primarily that was that was where my mind was going with it was yeah. trying to uh, under understand the idea of what what it will be like and it, it was uh, in, in the sense of, of time really yeah so like uh, my so, dad is this what you mean like my dad used to say that he heard somebody describe it as if an ant picked up one grain of sand and walked to from the East coast to the West coast and dropped it off and then came back and got another grain of sand and then did the same thing until all the sand was transferred. That would just be the beginning of eternity. That, that is like exactly that. the kind of thing I'm yeah. talking about uh, in, in this particular class. Uh, I think we, uh, we had the analogy of like a, a, a piece of rope uh, that stretched from one coast to the other and your your entire lifespan was was the amount of rope you could hold in your palm at any one moment, and if you pulled on that rope until you reached the end, it would still just be the beginning of eternity. Or another one that I've heard was uh, if you had a a steel ball bearing the size of the earth, and a bumblebee was flying around the steel ball bearing, and his his wingtip was just brushing up against the steel ball bearing. Uh, in the amount of time that he could wear a groove into the surface of that ball bearing would still just be the beginning of eternity or, or something. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we've all heard those yeah. types of explanations and analogies. And it just, it struck me at that particular moment, just how unsatisfying an explanation that really was. Well, and, and, and I don't know if anybody else feels this way. Maybe I'm alone in this, but when I was a kid, especially um, and I'll tell you how my mind has changed on that word in a second. But when I was a kid and I would think about that kind of stuff, I mean, like my dad's analogy of the ant, I mean, it terrified me. I, that didn't sound good at all. It doesn't matter where you tell me I'm going to spend eternity. When you describe it like that, it sounds miserable. I mean, that's like 
whoa. So like the same thing for that long. And it, it it's occurred to me over the years now that it should give us pause at least, even if people don't agree with how I, I, I think that that word ought to be understood. I, I think it should at least give us pause that the Bible never I mean, never goes into that kind of a <laughs> weird description. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't like, oh, do you know that it's just gonna, I mean, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not like that. And so I, I think that uh, unsatisfying is a great way to describe it like you just did. Well, I mean, it, it's one of those things where we, we have latched on to just a very few descriptions of, of what the afterlife might be, uh, of which, you know, that we're not told a great deal. Right. And um, we kind of latch on to these words uh, like forever or, or uh, everlasting and, and just different things like that. And, and we, we continually try and understand, uh, in all honesty, the lack of something by describing the abundance of something. Mm. And, and, and what I mean is that the real truth of the matter is that God exists outside of time. You know, time is a construct that, that he made for us to operate under and it doesn't it, it doesn't entail him he doesn't operate under this idea of time and so attempting to understand everlasting life with god and in his presence is is really trying to understand what it is to exist the way he does and under the guidelines that he does which is outside of time and so trying to understand eternity which is a complete lack of time existence any any longer by trying to then describe to ourselves things that that are these massive amounts of time or or massive amounts of of anything really is always going to be unsatisfying because it, it kind of misses the point. Yeah. And and it doesn't really matter how how good an analogy or metaphor we can come up with because our brains don't really work that way. We can't really grasp things of that magnitude anyway and so even if it was a more apt description which i don't really think that it is our brains don't really grab that but you know because we can understand and really grab hold of the, the moment we're living right now and while we might understand conceptually what hours and days and weeks look like we can only really wrap our head around what we're doing right now yeah and Go yeah ahead, sorry. it is it if if you want to uh, describe it in terms of like massive distances, like lengths of rope or, or, or just miles or what have you. I mean, if, if you're a runner and you, you run a marathon, you, you can understand what 26 miles is. But what you're doing and what you're experiencing that moment is the next step that you take. You know, you're never grasping it all at once. And so I've never really quite wrapped mm, my head around why we try and understand eternity all at once that way rather than trying to recognize what it might be to live the way god lives which is outside of this idea of time yeah okay so i'm going to push back a little bit on that but i i agree with you that that i think that describing what something is by what it's not or what it lacks i think that's that's a great way to put it but i would also say that I, I don't I don't know I the, the idea that God exists outside of time. I I think I I don't disagree that that may be true, but I also don't know that that is an area that scripture explores. I I think that that's probably more a product of 
Western thinking. I think that's probably more a product of uh, maybe even Greek philosophy and just like talking about like the construct of time and the space time continuum and, you know, just different things that we've (laughs) we've kind of wrestled with over the years to say, well, if there's this eternal being and he's, you know, outside of the natural world, then that means he exists outside of the space time continuum or whatever. But scripture, uh, and I don't even think the Jewish mind, I don't think that that was the type of thing that they wrestled with or thought about, and it certainly doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that Scripture describes. And so I think that maybe maybe we make an assumption, and we, we even say things like, before time began, um, and I don't know that Scripture— it, that's probably depending on the translation. I mean, definitely before the world began, or before the world was, Jesus said, um, but I don't know that it ever uses that expression, like, before time. And then we we make this assumption that after Jesus returns, then, like, time will be no more. I, we even say things like that, time will be no more. Um, but I think, I think that the way I'm learning this, and this has been a recent discovery for me, that the way that the Bible tends to talk about it, and even the word we translate as eternal, um, really has to do with age, like an age, like a like an era, like a a, ti- a time period, and the Jews really t- tended to think in those terms, like this age, the age of X, Y, and Z, whatever, and and in in our discussion. You know, we're living in the age of maybe maybe the age of time. I don't know. But but the way they would talk about eternity is the age to come. And I think that's a better way to describe eternity is the age to come. And so, um, in fact, I think a good passage, if we want to just dive right in, um, Mark 10 and verse 30. In fact, he uses... Um, he uses a very the word age because it says in English, "Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time?" I wonder what the, that word is. Oh, that's kairos. Okay, um, so that's a different word. Um, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What's interesting is the word age and the word eternal are exactly the same word, except for one's a noun and one's an adjective that describes life. So mm-hmm. so it's the same word. And so when, when life, eternal life, is described, it's talking about life for the age to come, or age to come type of life, that kind of life. Well, I, I think we can... We can uh really latch on to that understanding though because we we even in our our different culture have described things that way where we recognize uh we'll refer to something as the golden age of whatever yes 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 and and by that description we're not defining well well what year to what year did that go yes i mean we we use that kind of language because it's a description more of the nature of what happened or the nature of of uh, what was happening and going to happen during that set period of time, but it, it didn't matter what that time was. Right. Right. Uh, you know, and, and we can we can have all you know, to, just to make a silly uh, analogy of it. You know, you say, well, well, what was the the golden age of comic books or something? And it's like, well, it was when so and so did this, and well, no, I think it was when this mm-hmm. and that, and and it's just the idea of well, the, the golden age of whatever. Is is more a, a description of quality, yes. And going back over and attempting to stick a time frame to it is kind of where we get ourselves uh, uh, 
tangled up in our thinking right because we we try and define uh, something that 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 isn't about uh, shall we say the the mathematics of time yes uh, rather than the quality of time and yes. and uh, that's i don't i don't really know that we're disagreeing so much i guess it's, oh man it's just i wanted a... to disagree <laughs> <laughs> just kidding well i mean you know what's the old thing we we disagree with the purpose of coming to that's agreement right, that's and, right. and hearing hearing you describe your way of thinking about it helps clarify uh, my way of thinking about it. I've, I've been thinking about it in terms of God existing outside of time. Uh, just, but it's more, it's not necessarily that time doesn't exist for God, I guess, because he obviously defines things in particular ways so that we can know when they happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, what is in the future is in the future and so on. But it is, it's not important to him yeah. in the way that it is important to us. Right. Well, and, and and I think mortality is part of it, too. And so since God is immortal, and and in the age to come, we will have immortal bodies. I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, is that in the age to come, we we won't be bound by death. The, the enemy of death will be destroyed. And so we will be raised with immortal, imperishable bodies. And in that way, we'll be like God, in that we'll be immortal. And God is immortal, and so God sees something we don't see. God sees, and I think this is the way the Ecclesiastes talks about eternity. He says, you know, God, God sees eternity, but you and I, we're limited to a lifespan. And so you and I can only really see what happens in our life. And all we see is people are born, and people struggle, and then people die. But God sees this whole big thing from the beginning to the end. He sees the whole age all, maybe all at once. I don't know. I mean, we've <laughs> I've heard people say that too. You know, so oh, for God, it's like a mural on the wall. Maybe I don't know. But God has a perspective that we don't have, and 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 Solomon says that God put a sense of that in our hearts, and it's almost like you know, that's good, but it's almost like it's frustrating because we know, <laughs> we know that there's something we can't see. We can't see the big picture that God can see. And, and I love what you said about quality. And that, I think that that's, that hits the nail on the head. Well, I, I'll tell you exactly what, what came into my mind in trying to then wrap my head around, well, well, what's a better way to describe this? Or what, what is a better way to try and get us to understand what that might be like to experience? in a way that that we can actually wrap our head around because you know e even in in all the other descriptions that we talked about i mean you know an ant carrying a grain of sand or a bee flying around a, a steel ball mm -hmm. th th those are are hypothetical to to a bizarre extent that we can't even wrap our head around that you know right. it, it they're just ludicrous and so they aren't truly explanatory in that regard but i, I think there is something that we all have firsthand experience with that we have firsthand knowledge of that we understand instinctively through this experience that I think would helps it at least helps me to understand what that might be like to understand eternity and that's during those those times which <laughs> I can't get away from that word <laughs> during those moments <laughs> which is another way of saying time yeah when when we are so engrossed in something uh, whether it be good or whether it be bad, and the the uh, tracking of time in our mind goes by the wayside, mm -hmm. and we've all 
you know, been caught up in moments like that. I mean, we literally call it, call it losing track of time. You know, we, we stop really sensing or paying any attention to the fact that that time is passing. And when our minds come out of those moments for whatever reason, if they're just the moment is done or if something distracts us or whatever, and our mind comes out of those moments, we have this, this glorious sensation where if someone were to tell you 15 minutes has gone by, you would believe them and that would be understandable. And if someone were to tell you two hours has gone by, you would believe them mm -hmm. and it would be understandable because you literally have no, no concept of it having passed either short or long because the quality of that moment was such that it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so time existed, time was passing, but it didn't matter. It was not governing that situation in a way that in any way distracted from what it was that, that had your focus. And I think when, when we are in eternity, in that age to come, the quality of that moment, the quality of that time will be more like that. It, if, if time is continuing to pass because it continues to exist or something, fine. It, it won't particularly matter. Mm -hmm. And if someone were to tell you why it's been 10,000 years and we've just begun, you <laughs> might just say, well, okay, but that doesn't, it doesn't really matter to yeah. you. Yeah. You know, yeah. because the quality of that moment, whether, whether eternity had just begun or had been going on for ages untold, it wouldn't matter because because of the focus that you have by being in the presence of God. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's beautifully said. And I think that maybe one of the things that marks this era, this um this age is decay. And Paul talks about in Romans 8 how the creation is it's in bondage to decay. And so everything decays. In fact, that's that's one way that we measure time. If it's, you know, a, an hourglass, mm. we measure it by the decreasing of sand in, in the top of the hourglass, or, you know, we can look at the ground and we know how much time has passed by geology or whatever layers of, of sand. But, but the whole the whole everything everything has a half life and everything is breaking down and everything is decaying the whole creation is decaying but in the age to come the the creation paul says the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption to, to, to decay and so that that's one of the things that will mark the age to come is that there is a lack of decay and so even if time exists because, I mean, I always struggle with that. I always used to wonder, I mean, what do people mean, no time? I mean, there's obviously a before and an after in any, you can't even fathom any any existence that doesn't have a before and an after. You know, that that's just how things happen. It has a before and an after. But I think that, and, and we can't, I don't think wrap our mind around an idea of an age to come where we live in an existence without decay, without our bodies decaying or anything around us and whatever the world to come is like that that there will be no no corruption no decay and like you said i think that's one of the things that marks those types of blissful moments for us is that we don't realize time has passed because it's because it's so good whatever we we even say time flies when you're having fun 
But when you can see things breaking down, or, or you know, to put it in the, back in the hourglass way, if you can see time slipping through an hourglass, there's no way to lose track of time when you're watching things decay before your eyes. And when, you know, in this age, we watch our hair get grayer, we watch our, our bones start to creak a little bit more, we watch the people we love start to waste away, we watch our kids grow up and get older and move on. And so we have all of those things that we experience in this age, and in the age to come, whatever life is like, there will be no decay. And so even if even if there's change, and, and that's hard to wrap our mind around, but even if there's change, it'll be a positive change and never a negative. And so I think you're exactly right. I think that that sort of negative concept of the passing of time, time wearing on, um, won't be a part of our, our existence in that age. And, you know, there's, there's something else that time does to us um, or, or at least the way, the way we let time influence our thinking, uh, because I mean, you, you probably remember that I'm, I'm a, I can be a, a pretty nostalgic person. And, and I think we can all have our bouts of nostalgia for different things and looking at time past can, can do all manner of, of weird things to our emotions and, and to our hearts and to our thinking, uh, as you said, watching our children grow up. You know, when when you look back on it and there's always, you know, the, the argument for uh, for the dad looking back and, and, and saying, well, you know, you're never going to wish you had spent more time at work. You're going to wish you had spent more time at home and, and so on and making the best use of your time. But even if you spent every moment, every possible moment that you could with your children and every moment of that was good and glorious you will still come to a time where you look back and, and, and there, you know, now when this was hitting me a few days ago, there's a 10 year old boy standing in front of me and I can remember holding him in the palm of my hand. And even were there not a single regret in how I had spent the past 10 years interacting with my son, there is still the ever present regret of that time being gone mm -hmm. you know yeah uh, i don't know that i would reset myself 10 years and, and have to go back through a lot of the the things that i've done in my life but if i could extend whatever time i have with my son by another 10 years get that 10 years back i would do it in a heartbeat you know mm -hmm. uh, we even say things like that to our children it's like oh, you're growing up too fast mm -hmm. and and it's one of those things where even when time is good in this life its passage weighs heavily on our hearts and that lack of time and that recognition that this age will end and that that there will come a time when your parents won't ever be there again and your children may be gone or you will be gone and your parent your your children live on and it, it's hanging over us like that to even make what was good time feel bad to us mm -hmm. and another aspect of the quality of eternity is going to be that that whether time passes or not it will never carry that weight again yeah it won't be able to weigh down our hearts it won't be able to weigh down our minds that way and what more of a motivation could you possibly want to evangelize to your children mm -hmm. and to ensure that they they enter the kingdom of God, you know, mm -hmm. except to say that that 
that will be the one guarantee that I can have all of this time back mm -hmm. to, for lack of a better way to think about it. Right. And that it will be a, it will be a time of such quality that at no point can even can even a good time be something that weighs heavily on my heart. Mm -hmm. I always think about um, in terms of this age versus the age to come. I always think of it like there are certain things in this life that they're almost like a, a really good song that's just slightly off key. Now I'm not a I'm not a music person, so I, I don't even really understand my own metaphor very well. But but you know, it's like it's it's almost there. And like if you would just tweak it just a little bit, it would be perfect. But you know, you you look at the Grand Canyon or you, you know, you spend time with your children, or you, you know, you have one of those moments that it just seems perfect. And then if but if you really stopped and you really analyzed it and you're like, wow, man, I'm never gonna have this time back. And you know, and, and now they're a day older and they're a little closer to, you know, to them being gone, or I'm a I'm one day closer to not being alive, or you know, whatever, then there's this this edge of negativity, even on the very best things that we have in this life. And that's that's such a beautiful thought is that Jesus will redeem all of that and that in the age to come, that sense of loss for the children of God, that sense of loss, that, that everything has that edge on it. Everything has, like you said, I mean, even if there's no regrets, like, hey, I, I made the very most of every moment that I had, but I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm terminal, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. And so every day that goes by, I'm a little closer to that. And, and whatever we have here, it's, it's gone. And so even the very best things have this little bit of negative edge on it because every moment represents a little bit of loss or a little bit, uh, one step closer to loss. But in, in the age to come, that, that sort of passage of time, like you said, when we've been there 10,000 years, there won't be any loss attached to it, none whatsoever. And and so every beautiful thing, every awesome thing will be truly beautiful and will we'll not have any sense of uh, regret or pain attached to it that, that we do in this age. And even if that's a tiny, tiny thing, I don't want to make every, I don't want to sound like so negative about everything that, that we experience, but it does. It does have that little bit of twinge of bittersweet to it. And, and, you know, I mean, may, maybe some people are not affected the same way. You know, may, maybe people don't, other people don't spend as much time looking back on things and, and uh, feeling a heavy heart about it. But, you know, I, I can't help but, but look at my children. And it, if, if something caused my children to stop growing and to stop maturing, I, I would do everything possible to try and rectify that because my children need to grow and they need to mature. They, they need to have that happen. And yet when, when my children, uh, are adults, there's going to be some part of me that regrets that they're not little children anymore. Mm -hmm. And it won't matter that they still are my, my children, mm -hmm. but there will be something something of a regret that they're not they're not that little kid anymore and that 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 I don't have that nature of relationship with them and while while the the bible doesn't really speak to it at the very least we can understand that whatever relationship maintains 
between me and my children, it will be the one that has lasting value. Mm -hmm. it, it will be the one that lacks any corruption uh, in that age to come. Uh, if, if my child makes the commitment to God and, and uh, is brought into his kingdom, then that spiritual relationship that I have with my son or my daughter now, that will be the one that carries on. And that will be the one that will have all the positive qualities to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, we're told there, there won't be tears there. There won't be this sadness that we feel, even sadness about, about good things. Mm -hmm. And that means that the, the recognition of, of the true good, uh, I mean, it's, it's like the difference between, between the shadow of the law and, and the reality of heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, when we see the reality, it will, we will recognize, I hope, that whatever, whatever those feelings of positivity were throughout our life, when we recognized something really good was happening mm -hmm. and this moment was special, we can recognize that it was this spiritual influence of God that was making it special. That was what what put quality into that at all. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the thing that maintains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I man, that, that's a beautiful thought. I, you know, you, you just think about what life was like in the garden before the curse. And, and you have, I, I like to think about it in terms of harmony before the fall and then disunity and disharmony after the fall. And I mean, in, in everything. So Adam had, you know, harmony between himself and the animals. I mean, the animals walk by and let him name them. So there's this harmony between man and, and animals. And then there seems to be, because of the curse, there must have been harmony between Adam and even the ground before the fall, because afterwards the thorns and it's going to be difficult and working the ground is going to be hard. And then even the husband-wife relationship and, and God says, listen, to the wife, you know, now your desire is going to be for him and he's going to rule over you and there's going to be this friction and this tension. And you just come to realize every day you live that even in the best relationships that we have, even, even when they're awesome and they're just fantastic, there's still tension. There's still this, you know, I wonder, does he like me? Is he mad at me? Does she want me to bug off? You know, I mean, whatever. So you've got all of these these different tensions and questions and, you know, I don't know what you're thinking and what are you feeling and, you know, whatever, that in the age to come, whatever whatever positive aspects there are to what God has created, they sort of remain, I think, I hope, and, and the negative things are taken away. And that's what redemption is all about. It's things going, going back and getting fixed. And I mean, it's just such a beautiful thought to think that my relationship with my kids— and my relationship even with, with your kids or somebody else's kids, that it, it, we will all, all humanity that belongs to the Lord, we will have this perfect, perfect unity without any sense of wanting to get one over on somebody else or wanting to take advantage of somebody else or afraid somebody else is going to take advantage of us, and that all of those things are gone. And, and to even just to imagine what, what might life be like when all relationships are perfect, when all t when, when we don't have to worry about our kids growing up or not liking us anymore or being mad at us or whatever, you know, and, and I mean, my kids, like your kids, I'm sure, you know, I mean, they deal with, 
you know, they're, they're moody or they're frustrated or they, they want to mind and do what they're supposed to, but there's days where they don't. And, but, but that's part of, that's part of this tension of living in the flesh. And, and then in our resurrection bodies, it's just going to be different. And Jesus, like the, the Sadducees, you know, they thought they, like they could trick Jesus, like, oh man, we got this good one. Like, okay. So in the resurrection, if there's a woman that's been married to five brothers, who's, wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus like, you just don't get it because in the resurrection, it's going to be different and you're not even going to be married or, or get, you're not going to be married or get married. You'd be like the angels. And, and so it's just the world to come is going to be so, so different, so better. And, and better, better in ways. I mean, once again, I mean, this, this is kind of a, an ancillary discussion but in a lot of times, you know, when we're trying to understand eternity in, in the sense of, of time and passing and whatnot, we get confused trying to understand it in, in, in these human qualities. And then when we try and understand how better eternity is going to be, we again try and, and wrap our heads around it with this, this human understanding and, and fail every time. I mean, uh, uh, I, I heard an, another lesson just the other day, and, and the young man who did it was, did, a, did a fine job with it, and I appreciated it. Um, he he used the example of of the old marshmallow experiment, where where you know if the kid wants the marshmallow, he can eat the marshmallow, but if he's willing to wait twenty minutes, they'll give him two marshmallows. And and uh, his point was having the self control to wait for for the better reward. And I think that was a, a wonderful point to make for us that we need to to practice self-control in order to wait for the better reward. But when I spoke to him afterward, I, I said, you know, the other aspect of that that we have to keep in our minds is not just that eternity with God is going to be two marshmallows instead of one. It's that the one marshmallow of this life is a lie. Hmm. God has given us good things, but the world doesn't provide that. Yeah. The world is a backdrop for what God has given us, and the good things that he's going to give us in eternity are just the, the full revelation of the good things that he has given to us to us already. And so when we, when we think about this world as being one marshmallow and eternity with God as being two marshmallows, <laughs> we tend to conflate things that really have no relation to each other. Uh, what this world offers isn't isn't a one marshmallow of God's goodness. It is nothing. God offers us everything that is good, and and all that is good comes from God. And if we if we can't get our minds past the fact that eternity with God is going to be good because it is from God and because it is with God, not because it contains the best elements of of this world then we're going to fail really to understand why that hope is worth waiting for. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think that I think that too and something I try to ask myself like how do I if I'm if I'm making sure that this is a part of my thinking with all things is that you know I think that one of the one of the unique aspects of Christian thinking um, and you might even say Judeo-Christian thinking, as opposed to like later Gnosticism and, and well, and even even um, pagan idolatry, was that the world, the the created world, is good. It's good, 
And and that's something that like the Gnostics didn't believe. Like they believed that the material world was bad, that there were that it was created by and you know, and, and you can see why without the revelation of God, you could see why somebody might think that. You know, it's full of pain and it's full of things that hurt. And so they believed that there must have been two deities, you know, one that created spiritual things and one that created material things. And so and then later that was kind of fused with, you know, that was kind of pagan Greek thought. And then later that kind of got fused with Christian thinking. Um, but it's amazing to me sometimes how much of that still sort of remains in our thinking that material is good and spiritual non-material or material is bad and, and you know, spiritual non-material things are good. Um, and I think it's it's like, I wish I wish I had a good metaphor, but, you know, going back to the marshmallow thing. Um, but it's it's almost like we know, like we have a sense this marshmallow is good, um, like it tastes good, but I know that there's all sort of consequences. You know, it's it's sugary and it, it's bad for my health and, you know, whatever. And so there's there's aspects in this creation that that are I mean it's it's so good and it's like it's it's just right there and like we could I love what you said about the shadow of the law and then the reality that there's this ah oh, you could just almost taste it you can just it's just right there that there's so much there's so much that's really good in this life I mean uh, and, and that even even an atheist could see and say yeah that's good I mean it's good when a when a mom holds her newborn baby, when a dad holds her newborn child, when you teach a kid how to ride a bike or walk or whatever, it's good. And it, it's just so rich and so good. But then, you know, there, there's just this, this need for redemption. And I think that that's exactly what, what Christianity does. It's, it teaches us to live in this age with the anticipation for the age to come. And it really, there's times where it doesn't even make sense. And you're like, okay, so the world is good. So like, you know, physical, if you're listening with your kids, I'm about to say a word that, you know, anyway. So, uh, you know, but but sex is good. It, it's, a, it's a good thing. You know, so if it's good, then, then I should be able to, well, no, no, no. If you come under God's rule and reign, here's the the category here's how to enjoy the good things in a way that's not destructive and sinful and rebellious here's how you do it and you're like yeah but but that's really constraining i want to do all of these other things it's like no 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 listen if you trust god just live this way and so it is self control but it's it's like god is teaching us to trust him and not to trust our senses of what feels good or looks good or tastes good or whatever, but just just trust me and I'll teach you how to live this life in the most abundant way and then live in anticipation for the time when all things will be good and and that, that the sin and the curse and, and the corruption and the, dis, the destruction, all of that will be taken away. But, but man, in this life, it's hard to—that's the struggle of the flesh is to— not not take the fruit for ourselves, but to just trust God that he's going to show us what's right and what's wrong and what's the good way, the best way to enjoy this life in a way that glorifies him and anticipation of the age to come. And I think that's why so many of us struggle with, with thoughts of futility in this life. You know, we think, well, if the life to come, if the age to come is the one that matters, mm. if that's the hope, if that's everything that we're living for and striving for, then what is the point of what we do here? Yeah. And and to to try and, and recognize, well, if everything in this life, in, in this physical life, 
everything that's good comes from God, then what is it that I can contribute to that? And of course, we we have to recognize that while while this plan that's in place isn't isn't some plan B or something, mm-hmm. God had always has intended to redeem His people, but God's intention was not to have a people who needed to be redeemed. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> we brought that into the equation. Mm-hmm. And God prepared a plan from the beginning that if his people needed to be redeemed, there, there was a plan to do so. But his expectation wasn't that we, we have to fall, but we did, and, and we do. And so we have to recognize that there is still the, the good of, of doing God's work in this life. Mm-hmm. And the things that we kind of fail to wrap our head around is is recognizing that everything in this life that is good is is what God has given to us, and that is how we can be comfortable with not being successful in the ways that the world says we should be. Yeah, to have less than the world says that we should, to to have things in common that the world says we should cling to for ourselves, to to practice the living the way that the new testament christians did when they first entered the kingdom to to have these things in common to share with one another to always be helping one another and looking out for one another these are good things that god has given to us and that they they are good to happen now mm-hmm. it is not only going to be good when we do it in the age to come it is good to do it now if if only for the fact that people can see that can recognize it for what it is and then and then seek it out for themselves. They can come and say, what is this thing that you have that I don't have in my life? How is it that you can see simultaneously the, the bad of this life, but the good that God has brought to it and then work so hard and so diligently for it and to have joy in this life while, while the crushing weight of time is over your head? And I can say, because God wants me to bring someone with me. Mm-hmm. He wants me to find that person who isn't in his kingdom, who doesn't have a hope for the next age, and bring them in to share that good news with them. And so everything in this life has that that corruption to it, but we can we can bring the goodness of God to it, mm-hmm. and there's value to that. Mm-hmm. There is value to making the most of this time that we have in order to bring glory to God and not just to to sit in our doldrums and, and say, well, well, there is no value here because because the age to come is going to be so much more. Say, well, yeah, the age to come is going to be so much more. And that's why I need to share that good news with other people. Well, I think and I, I mean, oh, that's such you, you even said making the best use of the time. And it reminded me of what Paul says in Ephesians five. And he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And and the the ESV reads that way, making the best use of the time. But the w- word there that's translated making the best use is actually redeeming, redeeming the time. And I think that's exactly mm. what we do when we live as in Paul. Paul puts it in terms, in Ephesians, he puts it in terms of we are a new humanity. We're a new anthropos, anthropology. We're a new man. We put on this new humanity. In Second Corinthians, he calls us the new creation. He says, if you're in Christ, you're new creation. 
you, your spirit at least, your your body is waiting to be redeemed, but your spirit, you've been redeemed. And as you, Galatians, he says, as you walk by the spirit, your the spirit produces in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And we are these little bits of new humanity, new creation, walking around, doing actual good things in the world. And, and participating with Jesus in reconciling the world to God so that they can experience the resurrection and the, and the life to come. And so, yes, oh man, you said that so well that, I mean, what we do here and now, it really matters. And this idea that we just sit around and wait, you know, like, well, none of this matters, so I'm just going to wait for God to come, you know, for Jesus to come back. You know, it's like, wait, no, this really does matter. As we walk around and as the Spirit works through us to do works of love and joy and peace and patience, then then we are. We're helping and participating with Jesus in reconciling the world to God because they look at us and they say, there's something different about you. And the thing that's different about us is we live in anticipation of the resurrection because with Jesus— it already began. It already began with Jesus. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Well, I mean, let's let's just talk about that phrase for a second. Living in anticipation of the age to come. What, what does that really mean? It means we live as though those negative consequences don't exist because we know in the future they won't. That's exactly right. And so we get to live as though they don't right now mm-hmm. because we recognize that even though they have some element of of negative consequence right now that that consequence can't carry forward yeah it can't carry forward into the next life i mean and, and if anybody ever struggles with feeling like what should they do with their time because what they really want is the age to come i mean it just reminded me of paul's statement you know he he's of two minds of the matter he mm-hmm. wants to go home with jesus but he recognizes that there is work that he can do here and he wants to do both. Mm-hmm. He wants to do both. There's, sure. he, he is ready to go home to Christ at a moment's notice, but he wants to stay and continue to bring others home too. He wants to do both. And in, and every moment that he had, he devoted himself to that. Uh, you know, this, this morning we were in a class uh, talking about Acts and and we were talking about the 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 first uh, century Christians being devoted uh, to the apostles' teaching and and to all the other things that they did, and recognizing that a lot of that behavior is what we now would consider to be extremism. You know, and, and a lot of times we will even find ourselves describing Paul as being like this extreme Christian and recognizing no, <laughs> Paul was devoted, mm-hmm. and we're called to be devoted in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that devotion is what led Paul to feel both ways about that. Yeah, he wanted to go home. Yes, he was ready for the age to come, but he recognized there was so much more that he could do here, and he was willing and able and wanted to do that good while he was here. And because of that hope, because of that redemption, he could live now as though those consequences didn't exist because he knew in the future they wouldn't exist and that whatever consequences they had, you know, they killed him. But that consequence didn't carry any weight. That's right. Anymore, because because death had no sting any longer, mm-hmm. and so he was able to live in such a way that that would make most of us stop and say, "Well, well, but if I continue down this path, they're going to take my life." And Paul didn't worry about that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he wanted to to die at the hands of the Romans. 
but he lived as though that didn't matter because it didn't. Mm-hmm. And because those consequences couldn't carry forward. It's amazing. If we really stopped and think of, to think about what would a worldwide group of people who are radically committed to loving their neighbor and their brother and their enemy, and we're not afraid of dying, and we're willing to lay down their life for the good of others and the glory of God, and we're truly not worried about dying because they knew that death was going to be undone and that they would be raised from the dead. Imagine, imagine what we would be capable if we truly embraced that as our calling. We would, as Jesus said for us to do, pick up our cross and follow him. I mean, to, to take up your cross, to take up the instrument of your death, mm-hmm. and take up the instrument of my own death to say, I have put myself to death. And what does the passage say? It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Uh, there is good in this life, and there is the reality of that good in the age to come. But we get to live it both ways. <laughs> We get to live it now and we get to live it then. That's what that hope provides for us. That's exactly right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And if you did, I want to share with you two ways you can help support what we're trying to do. The first is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast to help others discover the show. The second way you can help is by checking out Logos Bible Software. Logos has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. So go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.